0: All the way back in 1636, a group of scholars uh, gathered together to uh, begin a new university. And they drafted their university's mission statement. And this is what it said. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. This university started all the way back in 1636, employed exclusively Christian professors. They placed a strong emphasis on character formation in their students above all else. And they had a diploma upon which the seal read Christo et Ecclesiae around the word Veritas, which means truth for Christ and the church. You've probably heard of this school It's called Harvard University. That was how they started. They started to train preachers. Princeton and Yale, same way. That's what happens. And I'm not saying Harvard's a bad school. It's a great school. But that's what happens when your mission and your strategy drift apart when when how you want to accomplish what you say you want to accomplish doesn't line up things go awry it will drift and you will move away from the reason why you exist so i want to thank you uh, for being here today, thank you for braving uh, the weather. Those of you who are here, uh, grateful for that. If on uh, the off chance that uh, you're here for the very first time, I would love to meet you. And when we're done, I'll be down front. Please come say hi. If, as I'm sure many of you are joining us online today, thanks for logging in from wherever you are. Please fill out your online uh, connection card. And also, if you're a regular here and you would have been here anyway and would have planned on giving, uh, there's also a link right next to the connection card where you can click on that, and it gives you an opportunity to give online as well. So thanks. for for logging in. Uh, we're glad you're here virtually. Uh, we've been in a sermon series for the last several weeks. We're concluding today on our church's new uh, vision, the whole community, whole in Christ. As I've said before, that's really just kind of a slogan. It's really trying to, to coalesce this, this picture, this mural that we're trying to paint of where we feel God leading us uh, down into just a few words. Here's the whole thing. Look at this with me. At Chapel Rock Christian Church, our hearts ache to see every broken person experience wholeness that is only available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. People find wholeness when they bring the brokenness in their lives to Jesus. He changes them through the gospel, and they share that change with those around them. This this is an ongoing process that will only be complete in heaven. Until that day comes, we believe that the Lord has positioned Chapel Rock in a strategic middle place between the city and the suburbs on the west side of Indianapolis in order to draw our community together around Jesus Christ. For that reason, we will not rest until Jesus uses Chapel Rock to put broken lives, families, and neighborhoods back together again in wholeness. So, Over the course of this series, we've been unpacking that. Little bit by little bit. Today, uh, we're talking about our strategy. How we're going to do this. Now, here's the deal. This has been in front of you the whole time. <laughs> it, it's spelled out really clear, I think, in the, that bigger vision statement. Look at this again with me. Look at this. Here's the strategy. People find wholeness when they bring the brokenness in their lives to Jesus. He changes them through the gospel, and they share that change With those around them it's really simple it's three words bring change share and it's symbolized by these three hexagons over here those three things bring change share and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that strategy today let me tell you the story of how we got here Uh, as this vision process was coming together and after when we landed on this a word of wholeness that kind of became our our organizing principle for the whole thing Uh, We ask the question, well, what process produces wholeness in our lives? Like, okay, if that's the goal, how do you get there? How how does this happen? How how do you grow in wholeness in your life? I mean, if everything we are going to do is oriented toward that concept, what process will bring that about in us? So what I want to do today is talk about how this happens in our lives. Again, this whole time we've been talking about how the ultimate goal for us is to experience true wholeness, shalom, in Christ. For Jesus to come into our lives, to heal and restore our brokenness because of sin, to give us an experience of a growing sense of peace and wellness in our relationship with God, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with our, our friends and family, our neighbors, our community. How does that happen? Well, here's the strategy. I I think it's really clear. I think it's very simple. I think you could literally draw it on the back of a napkin. You can apply this strategy to every area of your life. But (laughs) there's also a sense in which this is a bit blurry because we're all in different circumstances. And the way that you apply this strategy in your life might look different than the way I apply this strategy in my life. We are expecting baby number seven anytime soon. Those of you who have seen my wife know this. People, we <laughs> had a small, not really a shower, they called it a sprinkle uh, for her yesterday. And it was like, they came, the ladies came in like, whoa, you are ready. Um... So the way that that I have wholeness in my life as a father of seven kids, you know, going to be a a junior in high school this year, all the way down through just born, you know, um, is might look different than those of you who your kids have been grown and gone for two decades. The process is the same, but the specifics are different. And so there's the blurry part. So this is a clearly blurry process. (laughs) Does that make sense? Okay. Here's what this looks like. Here's the first step. You bring brokenness to Jesus. If you want to become whole, you first have to bring brokenness to Jesus. And this is imaged by these two hollow arrows. Get it? They're hollow. They're not filled in. They're broken. There's part that's missing. <laughs> pointing down together, the top one there. They're pointing to this kind of, we're, we're bringing it, we're coming into the same place, Okay? I think we see a great example of this. I love this story. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible in Matthew chapter 8. Look at this with me. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, now this is right after the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Jesus has just given the Sermon on the Mount. Huge crowd of people there listening to him. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. (laughs) Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I believe this passage teaches us that we have to be willing to bring our brokenness to Jesus and expose it in all its ugliness and corruption in order for it to be made whole. This guy's a leper. We don't know exactly what that was. The word translated leper here is kind of a generic term in the New Testament for all sorts of skin diseases. It might have been actual Hansen's disease, what we think of as leprosy. It could have been any of the other number of uh, skin ailments that, the, in the book of Leviticus, it says make you unclean. This guy had a responsibility to wear a, a, a veil over the lower portion of his face. He had to walk around uh, and cry out constantly, unclean, unclean, unclean. It's like what you do when you have the flu here at church. You know, don't don't touch me. I'll you know handshake. Okay. Um. It, it, he had he had to walk around unclean, unclean, unclean. And so this guy really probably shouldn't have been in this crowd. There's a crowd of people around, and he goes up to Jesus, and, and in front of God, and everybody says what's wrong. Do you ever, have, ever meet somebody like that, a chronic oversharer? <laughs> Just constantly, tell, oh, this, this, here's what's going on. And he comes to Jesus, and he brings his brokenness, and he presents it right in front of the Lord. Can you imagine doing that? <laughs> Listen, true repentance must inf- include confession of brokenness. I wonder sometimes if the Protestant Church has thrown the baby out with the bathwater regarding confession. I don't think it should be mandated, like our Catholic friends. But y'all, my Bible's really clear when it says in James 5:16, "Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed, literally made whole." The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen. If you want to experience wholeness, it is not going to come unless you're willing to bring your brokenness to Jesus and say, here. The whole, if, 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 if your whole posture is, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm alright, I'm good, you're never going to be whole. If you're constantly admitting that, if you're constantly saying, I'm not wrong, I'm not wrong, this is, not, this is okay, this is good, you're not going to find wholeness in Christ. This leper is willing in front of God and everybody. Of course, it's, it's painfully obvious. And that's another lesson for us, is we, what we think might be hidden usually isn't. <laughs> it's like, dude, I know you're messed up. I'm messed up. I see it more clearly in you than I do in me. That's why we need each other. We'll talk about that in a little bit. See, what we see in this text is that there's no way this guy would have found healing if he hadn't confessed his need to Jesus. And not only that, the guy knows that Jesus can heal him. He's just asking if he will So here's what that teaches us. If you will bring the broken, unclean parts of your life to Jesus, listen to me, He will not recoil away from you in shock and horror. He will not run away from you. He will not berate you for your failure. When you bring your brokenness to Jesus, you can be confident knowing that you are loved and accepted and desired in His presence that you are doing exactly what He wants you to do. When you go to Jesus and you go, here, I messed it up, it's not like He's going to go, oh, gross, with your life. Instead, He will look you in the eye and communicate to you how much He values you. He will speak to you and speak life into your, your, your heart and soul and mind and strength. He will heal you. He will be, your life will be made whole and complete and clean. But you have to bring it to Him. See, when you're willing to bring something that's broken to somebody who can restore it, pretty awesome stuff happens. Watch. Watch. Finally tonight, a magical moment for one baby boy whose life suddenly changed when a pair of eyeglasses was placed on his little face. Before that, everything was fuzzy, but now those bright eyes are taking a whole new world. ABC's John Donvan with the story tonight.
1: Oh. Okay, we're just gonna show it to you, so watch this. Watch the expression on this baby's wow. face. His name is Leo, he's four months, and this smile oh. And here's why it means so much to his mom and dad. Before that moment, Leo, who has a rare disorder affecting his vision, had never had a good, clear look at the world. Most of what he's been able to see up until getting the glasses was extremely fuzzy or completely out of focus. Yep, everything, even up close things, like his dad's beard. He'd look at him or or get close to his face and instantly put his hands towards his cheeks, maybe to identify if it's dad or if it's mom. So the glasses were there to fix that. And the video, it shows the moment he first puts them on and first looks straight into his mother's face. And there's that hesitation, and then there it is. Obviously, Leo likes what he sees. That smile was something that was so different. Yeah, it was just, it was just remarkable. Wow. Yes, it was remarkable. So here's one last look at this first look. John Donvan, ABC News, Washington.
0: <laughs> Do not think that when you bring your mess to Jesus, he will recoil. Know instead that he will get right down in your face and look in your eyes and tell you that he loves you. Did you notice in the text it says he touched the man? That was against the rules in the Mosaic law. are not supposed to do that. But he who is without sin can reach out and touch corruption and instead of being corrupted himself bring healing and wholeness. So when Jesus touches your life, he is not corrupted by your sin. Instead, he heals you. You are restored. You are given wholeness. But you've got to bring it to him. So how do we do that? Let me suggest three ways. First of all, I think it happens through prayer. It happens through prayer. We need to pray about our own brokenness, acknowledging it to God. That's how you bring brokenness to Jesus. You admit it in prayer. Lord, I messed up, I'm sorry. Um, but I think you also pray about the brokenness that we see in our world. That when you see an area in your, in your culture, in your community that's just messed up, it's not right. When you hear repeatedly over and over and over again of someone like Larry Nassar who was abusing young women, You pray about that listen when you watch the evening news if your first reaction upon seeing that is not prayer you're doing it wrong we bring our brokenness to Jesus yes in our own life yes but you also do it with what's in our society and it starts with prayer you pray that God would make himself known in broken situations it also comes through worship and surrender The giving of your heart to God in worship is cathartic. You heard that word, a catharsis. It means a cleansing. It's the same root word as what we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, where the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Same word, same root at least. Worship and surrender of your life, giving it over to God in worship is cathartic. It cleanses you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it might embarrass somebody, but how many of you have come into church on a Sunday morning and you really screwed up last week and you come in here and you spend time praising God and you walk out of here and it's like, oh, I needed that. Yes. Thank you, Lord. It's cleansing. It it brings wholeness to us. When you bring that brokenness to Jesus, you say, here, I can't do this. You mess with it, Lord. It also comes through fellowship and accountability. You will find that just being in a group of close Christian friends will do this for you. They will hold you accountable. They will support you. They will encourage you toward wholeness. <laughs> they, they will help you hold your feet to the fire regarding the commitments that you made. Can I get an amen from my rooted people? I don't know about your group. We, just, we, our, we meet on Wednesday night. And we just went through week six on strongholds <laughs> and, and talking about the sin that we struggle with. And it was powerful. It's great. You need that. The way you bring brokenness to Jesus is through good Christian friends who look you in the eye and say, I love you, but you're being an idiot. And help you through that. The first step is you've got to bring your brokenness to Jesus. The second step in this strategy, which is imaged by these two arrows kind of moving in opposite directions, you see it? One of them's empty, one of them's filled in. So one of them's broken, one of them's whole. They're growing in wholeness, but there's a change happening here. We're moving in a different direction, okay? And, And the second thing is change through the gospel. So the first step is you bring your brokenness to Jesus. The second step is you change through the gospel. The gospel is news, but it's news that changes us. This announcement from God that He loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross in your place for your sin and to be raised again so that you could have wholeness and life abundantly like we talked about last week. That announcement is good news, but implicit in that news is the idea that we need to change. Let's look at what Paul says, the gospel does in us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at this with me, 2 Corinthians 3:17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces, that's a reference back to Numbers chapter 33 and 34 about Moses going up and spending time on the mountain with God, and he comes down with a new Ten Commandments, and you know, we broke the first one after the golden calf, he comes down and his face is glowing because he's been with God, remember that story, okay? And he's got to put a veil over his face because the people are freaking out because what would happen if all of a sudden, you know, your leader's face just started randomly glowing? Uh, uh, no jokes. No um, jokes we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, look at this, are being transformed into his image. Over time, we're becoming more like Jesus, is what that means. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see this, right? We're being transformed into his image. Wholeness is an ongoing process where we change to be like Jesus. We go from looking like a messed up, broken human being to looking like Jesus. Where do I sign? I want to do that. Socrates said, know thyself. It's good advice. (laughs) The thing is, once you do, you realize I don't want to be like me. I want to be like him. (laughs) And so... I, I, I want to be like Jesus, and, and this going through this process means there's some change that needs to happen. Now, I should add here, Paul is not endorsing the heresy of modalism when he says the Lord is the Spirit, okay? That's not what he's saying. Rather, it's designed to show that the Spirit who indwells us, remember Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, literally, take into yourself the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here is that the spirit who indwells us is just as much God as the Father is and just as much God as the Son is. And that spirit is constantly changing us through the power of the gospel. See, the ultimate result of the gospel in our lives is that we increasingly share the glory of Jesus. What that means is, over time, people will begin to respond to you as you look more like Christ the same way they responded to Jesus. I've said before, if lost people don't like you, you're not enough like Jesus. Because they loved him. In fact, as you become more like Christ, it's entirely likely that lost, broken, messed up, wounded people will like you a whole lot and and pharisaical, self-righteous, smug, religious people won't like you at all. That's okay. That's all right. (laughs) Listen, you are not accountable to God for people's reaction to you if you really are being like Jesus. But you are accountable to the Lord to submit to the power of the gospel message and undergo a clear change or transformation into the image of Christ. So, how does that happen? How are we changed? Well, let me suggest three ways. Not, this is not list listed, not exhaustive, but there are three ways I think that, that are significant. First of all, the change that happens will differ based on what's going on in your life, okay? So, we said here the process is really clear, but it's also kind of blurry. Here's the blurry part, because what going on in your life might look different than what's going on in my life, and the specifics of it might be different, but this change needs to happen, okay? So what kind of change is needed? Well, let me make three suggestions. First of all, it it definitely will mean confronting a stronghold of Satan. It definitely will mean confronting a stronghold of Satan in your life. I mentioned before that we talked about that in Rooted when our group met this past Wednesday. We were discussing these strongholds. Week chapter six of Rooted, we talk about those places in our life where Satan just seems to have a grip on us. Where we're not, we're still pretty broken. We're not yet really being conformed to the image of Christ. And in that week, they encouraged the, you know, the guys to meet separately from the gals, and so the ladies were nice and cozy, warm, and in the living room, and the only other place we had that was, you know, soundproof was the garage, and so the guys all went out to the garage. <laughs> it was like 20 degrees outside, and all suffered together, right? You know, it was awesome. <laughs> it was good stuff. You know, and we're all out there, you know, just dumping our truck and, and confessing all the major strongholds in our life. Here's what they said. I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not gonna, that's, <laughs> that's just for me, guys. That's, just, that's my joke. Uh, if you don't think it's funny, I thought it was hilarious. Um, you know, what happens in Rooted stays in Rooted. Uh, I, here's one thing I will share that I said in that group. Um, it's been said that you're, oftentimes your greatest strength overblown is your greatest weakness or biggest stronghold. So if you're a really confident person, masterful in everything you do, it's entirely likely that you struggle with pride on some level. Your greatest strength overplayed is often your greatest weakness. It's the biggest stronghold of of the enemy in your life. And I think that's true. But what's also true, what's also true because of the power of the gospel is that when you undergo this transformation and the strongholds of sin in your life are broken by Jesus, then that broken place becomes the best part of your testimony about the wholeness that God is doing in your life. When you're willing to do this, to bring your brokenness to Jesus, lay it at his feet, and let the gospel change you, that that messed up part of your story becomes something awesome. God redeems it, and he changes it, and it becomes this amazing thing that helps you bear witness to the power of Jesus Christ. Listen, the ultimate apologetic, the ultimate defense of the faith is a changed life. You can quote Ken Ham all day long. You can quote Dr. William Lane Craig all day long. But at the end of the day, if you want to share with your faith with your friends about Jesus, you say, listen, I, you believe whatever you want. He changed me. These places of brokenness then become these powerful places of testimony. And here's why. When the Spirit comes into your life, when you accept Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you. You've got a a whole brand new set of tools. You've got a whole new resource to push back against the strongholds in your life. Not only that, but you have a new identity. You're living more out of your identity in Christ and, and this redeemed person. We've said before that when you're baptized, the old person dies and Jesus raises up a new one. You've got a brand new identity in Christ that you're living out of, and you live out of that and that wholeness that you have in Him and not your former old dead life brokenness. So this this process of change is going to involve confronting some kind of stronghold. That much is clear. I don't know what it is. It might be different for you than it is for me. There's the blurry part. But it means confronting the stronghold. It's also going to mean a change in mindset or priorities, I love the emphasis in this passage in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 17 and 18 about contemplating the Lord's glory. Just thinking on who Jesus is. To think about Jesus. Listen, let me me give you a surefire method. If you're struggling with a particular sin in your life and, and it's just beating you up and taking your lunch money every day, think on Christ. Image Jesus in your head. When you're tempted... Pull up whatever picture of Jesus on the cross you've got. And then, then pull up whatever picture in your brain you've got of Jesus walking out of an empty tomb. Because that's what gives you the power to live a resurrection life. And when you do that, all those temptations go away. <laughs> when you contemplate the Lord's glory. See, a big part of this change is, is changing the way you think about your sin. And that thing that looks so attractive is now disgusting. That thing that looks so wonderful is now repulsive. It involves a change in mind. Third thing, this change may simply be answering the question, well, what's the next step in your discipleship? What's the next step in your discipleship? And that's different for everybody. I mean, every one of us needs to answer the question. That much is clear. But because the answer might be different for everybody in this room, it gets a little blurry. Some of you need to have a revolution in your prayer life. You need to really learn to pray. For a long time, your prayer life has been, God, thanks for the food, you know, good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. I mean, you know, that's your thing. And that's great, it's a start, but you need that. Others of you have long since learned how to pray, and it's like, all right, maybe I need to learn to fast, or I need to learn to share my faith. That's one of the reasons we love Rooted, is it just kind of walks through all that stuff. It, it, it's, that, that part might be different, but you need to answer, what's the next step in your discipleship? The change pattern might look different in the specifics for everybody, but the need for it is universally true. You bring your brokenness to Jesus. He changes you through the gospel, and then there's one more step in order for this strategy to work. You've got to share that with somebody else. You've got to share it. That's the the bottom hexagon there with the two filled-in arrows. Get it? Now they're whole. They're not empty. They're whole. They're filled in. And they're going out. You, You share what God has done in your life with somebody else. In order for you to really be whole, you've got to share what God has done in your life with someone else. Paul helps us understand this idea of sharing in his letter to the church at Philippi. I look at what he says here in Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 1. He says, "Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing, that's the word that Dave was talking about earlier when he said koinonia. That's kind of a love word. If any common sharing, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's translated fellowship. In the passage Dave referenced in 1 Corinthians 10, it's translated participation. He says, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves." not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. What Paul is saying here is is basically, you know, because or since Jesus has given us encouragement and comfort and tenderness and compassion and unity and humility and a supernatural care for other people, Jesus has given you all those things, so share them. Share them with someone else. We should be as generous in sharing what God has given us as He was in giving it to us to begin with. All through the New Testament, this idea of Christians being people who share what God has given them is constantly reinforced. See, the clear part of this strategy is that you need to do this both as a necessary part of becoming more whole in Christ as well as an expression of that wholeness. As Jesus works to change you through the power of the gospel, this becomes imperative for you to share that with someone else if, if, if you only ever take it in What happens to you if you eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and never, ever exercise or expend any caloric effort? You get sick and die. So there's a sense in which this needs to be what God has done in you, you need to express. It needs to come out. You need to share this because true shalom, true wholeness will come into our community and our lives when we share with other people what God is doing in our lives. That's clear. Everybody needs to do that. Here's the blurry part. The way that actually works out in your life might be different than the way it does in mine. The specifics of it get a little fuzzy, okay? So here's what this could look like. Let me make some suggestions. Your sharing could be material wealth. Chapel Rock is awesome about this. I mean, just two weeks ago, we gave away over uh, $3,500 in aid to a family that was burned out of their home and lost everything but the clothes on their back. I, I love that about this church. You know, I love walking in and seeing our, in the drop zone, seeing the, the, you know, the baskets for our homeless ministry just overflowing with things that are, that's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. So your, your, your sharing could be your material wealth. It could be your time. This is an area where Chapel Rock excels also, already practicing part of this strategy. Uh, Chapel Rock is one of the primary suppliers for volunteers for the Wayne Township uh, School's uh, Hosts program. We have 25 people from our church that are part of that. Every year, over thousands of volunteer hours from this church are given back into the community. But this is bigger than just the geography of the school district, both in geography and just the scope of that one particular aspect. Thousands of hours every year are donated from our church body back into the community. And if you're not part of that in some way, I think you're missing a huge component of what real wholeness looks like. So it could be your your time. It could be your home. This goes back to what we were talking about last week. One of the major values of the early church is that they viewed getting together as believers in their homes together as something really important. They viewed their home as an extension of the church. Their house was an outpost of the kingdom of God. What if you begin to view your house that way? Then my house is a kingdom outpost in my neighborhood. My house is where the kingdom of God lives in Chapel Hill. Not just there, other places too, those of you who live in Chapel Hill as well. What if you look at this, embracing this strategic sharing means that you have friends and neighbors and especially people not like you regularly in your home. Humble though it may be, so that you can share your story with them. And, And that's really the next thing. Maybe it could be your story. One of the best things that we can share with people is a story of how God worked in our life to bring wholeness into us. Listen, it sounds complicated. It's really not. It's, here's where I was broken. Here's what Jesus did. Here's how I'm becoming whole in Christ three sentences you can do it in the elevator the hospital be a little weird if a total stranger you know like why are you telling me this you know it it helps if there's some kind of relationship sometimes God uses those things though it could be your story it could be our home notice the difference there by that I'm talking about the church building the facility here I think we're doing okay here but I think there's room for improvement I'm working on trying to find ways that we can practice even greater radical hospitality to our community in the ways that even that we use our building. And it could be all of those things, and probably is for most of us, but, but here's one thing I'm sure it is. The one thing that's clear for each one of us is that it is absolutely our relationships. Here's what I mean. If God has given you wholeness from a specific sin, maybe drunkenness, maybe an out-of-control temper, an addiction to pornography, greed, gluttony, fill in the blank with your issue. If God has healed you and given you shalom their wholeness, what are you doing to help somebody else find their way out? How are you coming alongside someone else who's struggling in that area to help them to become more whole in that part of their life? See, ultimately, that's what our strategy looks like to lean into the relationships we already have to share the wholeness that Jesus is working into us so that people that we know can become more whole in Christ and then they'll do that for someone that they know and people you don't even know will become whole in Christ because you shared your story. That's the impact of this kind of sharing. And I don't have the same relationships you do. You don't know the same people that I do, at least not all of them. So that's the part that's a little blurry. I, don't, I can't tell you exactly, okay, go with, with this person, go here, and with this person, go here, and with this person. I, I can't do that. But you can if this strategy works. You bring your brokenness to Jesus. He changes you through the gospel, and you go share that with somebody else. It, it looks a little bit like this. There's kind of a loop that happens here. I, I want to show you this picture. So we've just got these symbols here. and It looks like this. <laughs> you start over on the left, and just whoop, you just make the loop-de-loop-de-doo. There's a downwardness to bringing your brokenness to Jesus. you got to go down. It's here, Lord. <laughs> the text, the guy you know, kneels at Jesus' feet, here. And then there's this, this change in direction, this reorientation of the way you're moving. All of a sudden, you go the other way. And then it just it skyrockets. So here's what it looks like, friends. It looks like this. Big curly cue. And so, so the, the direction on the map is, as you go up, you grow in wholeness. As you go right, you grow, it goes time So as time goes on, you just keep going through this loop over and over and over again, and you become more like Jesus. As you bring your brokenness to Him, He changes you through the gospel, and you share that with someone else. And here's the thing, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the most righteous people I've ever known in my life were the ones who were most keenly aware of their own sin. Anybody else know folks like that? They're really like Jesus, and when they start talking about their sin, you're like... Really, that's wrong. Oh my goodness! I didn't even. I mean, they're very much aware of their own brokenness, and so what happens is, as you grow in wholeness, you begin to see, oh, there's another area of my life that doesn't look like Jesus, and you go through the loop again. So here's my goal for you, Chapel Rock, this year. I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table. Full disclosure, my goal for you is to go through this wholeness loop in one area of your life once a year. Maybe more if you can do it, but at least once. To go through this process, if you, I will know that we were accomplishing our vision, that we're, we're accomplishing our mission to help people become like Jesus when you go through this process at least one time in one area in your life in a year. Or maybe 18 months or whatever. I'm, again, that's the blurry part. But it's this process of going, here Jesus, this is messed up. You do something with it. Here's what I've been trying to tell you today. Every time you go through this wholeness loop, you experience an ongoing transformation in the image of Christ. That's what this is about. This is wanting to give you just a very simple, portable, practical strategy that you can literally draw on the back of a napkin. Write three words, bring, change, share. Whoop, make the loop. It's that simple. The vision that God has given us here at Chapel Rock is not dependent on a good economy. The vision that he's given us here is not dependent on a favorable legal status for the church. And the vision that God has given us is not dependent on some kind of gloss of cultural Christianity that still stems from our sort of kind of Judeo-Christian background. Instead, if anything, as our culture moves further away from those roots, this vision becomes even more compelling. That excites me. That energizes me. So here's what you can expect in the future. This strategy will permeate everything we do. We will always be asking, how do we get somebody to move a little further on that loop? If you're at bring, what do you need to do to move to change? If you're at change, what do you need to do to start sharing that? And so to help us, as a reminder, each week we've created something we call the vision benediction. We're so certain that this strategy will lead us toward greater wholeness. We want to express it each week before we leave together. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and you're going to have an opportunity to respond to this message today. But after that, at the end of the song, we're going to say this together. We bring our brokenness to Jesus because a change to wholeness is the story we share. It's just a constant reminder of what God is calling us into. So what's your story Is it a story about God bringing wholeness into your life? Because if it's not, it can be. It really can be. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to trade in the brokenness you have for wholeness in Christ. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing together. We'll have decision counselors down here. Maybe you need to pray with somebody about one of those areas in your life. Maybe you're ready to accept Christ as Savior and Lord and be baptized and receive wholeness in Him. You're going to have a chance to do that. Maybe you need a change in your life. We believe that that happens best in community. It doesn't come from listening to a 30-minute sermon, but it probably comes through a conversation with someone who loves you. If that's where you're at today, go to the Next Step room. We've got leaders in there who will happily help facilitate that conversation. I don't know what your need is, but you've got an opportunity to respond to this today. Would you stand with me? And we're gonna sing together.